On this week's full-time roundup, the Premier League seesaw continues. Bayern are truly in chase mode. Real keeps Girona under pressure. Plus, we have a surprise guest host with us tonight. Another episode of the full-time roundup starts right now. And welcome into the latest edition of the full-time roundup. I am Matt Gesslin, as always. A little surprise for you guys tonight. Uh, Daniel, of course, is channeling his inner Captain Jack Sparrow and sailing around the world on a holiday cruise with his family. And so we have enlisted the services of not only than our best, one of our good friends, John Hayes from the Charlotte Soccer Show. John, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Good to see you as always. I know it's virtual because it's absolutely disgusting here in Charlotte tonight. But again, great to see you. And, and thanks for doing this with us. I'm here for the Pirates of the Caribbean reference in the first couple of minutes of the show. That means things are going to uh, go very well on today's podcast because I'm coming in here with a lot of hot takes about European soccer. Uh, I've been watching all season and I'm pumped to uh, to get the call out of the bullpen to fill in for Danny Brackets uh, so I can hang out today and talk some, some Prem and, and other leagues with you. Well, we love it. We love having you. We love talking footy with you. We've done this for... I don't know, long, long time, the two of us, of course, this is the first time we've had you on the pod, but hopefully not the last. Um, you know, going from when we were watching these games as we were covering the other football to now we get to talk about them ourselves is is full circle and, and got to love it. So with that, I want to jump right in, John. Uh, of course, you mentioned Premier League. is That's where we always start each week with our rundown of things. And so the first game on the list, of course, was the big one this morning that put Arsenal atop the table. I know it's painful for you to say as a Spurs fan, but Arsenal now are atop the table. Were you able to check this one out? Was, of course, Arsenal versus Brighton, two very high-powered flying teams going into this one. Well, here's the thing. I mean, it's not that painful for me because, like, I, yes, I'm a Spurs supporter, but at the same time, I kind of respect what Arsenal is doing. Um, all or nothing with Arteta. I know people are on one side or the other when it comes to Arteta. I think he's a, a great motivator, and the fact that Arsenal wins this game 2-0 uh, keeps a clean sheet to me is the most impressive thing, right? Where he he needed to have an organized team, and they looked, in, in my opinion, Arsenal was the was the best looking squad um, on this match day in the Prem. Yeah, they they came out flying, putting Brighton just completely under pressure from the start, and you felt like they couldn't get out. Of course, you have you know Declan Rice and, and Martin Odegaard who are capitalizing on those balls coming from the back and, and jumping in and really keeping Arsenal under you know continuous pressure for you know that first thirty minutes. It felt like the floodgates were going to open. Uh, of course, Martin Odegaard continues to just be one of the best players in the field, and and John, this one felt like you said a clean sheet. You know, we talked about it a couple episodes ago where, where Arsenal felt like they had 20 minutes or so where they dominated, but this felt like an actual team that dominated from start to finish, like a real title contender after this one. Yeah, and against um, a, a, a Brighton squad that has uh, been has gotten a lot of praise this season, a Brighton squad that Deserby people say he's doing such a great job with, and it's always a tough uh, bit of competition when you come up against Brighton, but uh, today Arsenal made it look like Brighton was a middle table, bottom table team, no chance um, at, at Arsenal. And for me, Arsenal has, has always been in the, the, the race for the title. Uh, when you think back to last season and now the way the 2023-24 season has started, dude, think about this. Like Arsenal is – in better form than City. 
So if you just continue to build those months out, it's it's actually Arsenal who is 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 now ahead of the pace when compared to to Manchester City. Yeah, and you talked about that, and of course last year the the race that was you know kind of starting now you figure was was City kind of looking at six points at, around this time of year last year as well, and then they made that run going into the beginning of New Year. So could that be something to keep an eye out for? But you were right, you know Arsenal got better, um, they improved, they they recognized what they had to do this year to keep up with City, and, and they really are starting to look like that dominant team. Of course, Brighton had a chance here um, late, John. You know Pascal Gross almost equalizes, and then right away you go back down the field. And, and, you know, Gabriel Jesus puts the header into the back of the net and it's game over from there. So, uh, you know, this was almost kind of one of those games where they it felt like they dominated, but they didn't put them away. And then and sometimes good teams like Brighton, who just need a, a moment, you know, with players like Matoma and, and Jao Pedro, they only needed one opportunity and they almost got it in this one. Two players for me, Matt, stick out on, on Arsenal's side, and it's David Raya and, Net, and it's Gabriel uh, Jesus, who you already mentioned. And the reason why is because those two players are like read the reinforcements that you're talking about, right? The, the players uh, along with Declan Rice in, in the middle too. So when we talk about Arsenal getting better, that's why, right? And so I've got – when I look at them play today, especially at home, I'm, I've got nothing but respect for what they're doing. Well, they have a huge game uh, right after the Christmas break. Uh, so that that one will be all eyes as it was today in Liverpool. Uh, John, this one, I know you weren't too fond of this one. I watched it as well. It was a pretty awful back and forth between Liverpool and United, who, of course, Liverpool, going into this one, everyone thought the drubbing was going to happen for nothing at least, minimum. Game was over. I know Danny picked 5-1. He Everyone should check on the boat, make sure he's still there. He basically assured that this one was a win. Uh, and, and United come in, and they find a way to get a point at Liverpool and, and a hard-fought battle for Manchester United. And Eric Ten Hag needed this more than anybody, I think. I think it was like 30 minutes into the match, and Liverpool already had six corners, and Manchester United had zero, which, by the way, I think Manchester United finished with zero corners in this match. It was just a total onslaught. And uh, after the match, Eric Ten Hag was was proud of the achievement, right? He he set his team up to to go to Anfield and and get a, a draw, and he did that. So I guess props to him for that. And the fact that Liverpool didn't score at home against a, a Manchester United team is. Uh, pretty shocking. Uh, did you expect them to score in this one? I, I mean, DV Danny Brackett's had him with five. You, you I mean, I, the game he didn't, even, he didn't even think this game needed to be played. He said this one's done five nil, five one. I, I, to your point though, it, it felt like it the first 30 minutes felt like this was going to be another seven nothing, but then when when our when Liverpool couldn't get over that hurdle, the I think it was like the first 10 minutes of the second half, I texted. Jared, a buddy of mine that you know that I talk about with United, and and I said, I you guys are going to get something out of this one, and that was you know it just felt like something wasn't right, like Liverpool was missing that last that last little bit to put away Manchester United, and and like you said, credit to Manchester United and what Eric Ten Hag and his men were able to do. They they earned a hard fought point. Um, was not expecting it, and and of course, you know, a lost opportunity for Liverpool at home, where they haven't lost or, or dropped points all season long. And um, you know, Jurgen Klopp kind of predicated this going into this one. Of course, hold the phone; it's still Manchester United, but you'd have to be a little disappointed, even if you're Jurgen Klopp inside. You know, maybe to within the boys, you're saying we should have won this one and, and not given them an opportunity here. 
Aside from Mo Salah, I, I really do think the, the Liverpool 11 le- leaves a little bit to be desired, right? Uh, Endo, who's who's playing in the uh, middle, Sobislai as well. Uh, okay, Graven Burke, is that who it is, the, the other midfielder? Yeah, and, and Endo, who was not very good again today. Endo was, was very poor and has been poor since he's been given the opportunity to start from Klopp. So I'm not sure why you don't start a Harvey Elliott there. Um, who's been who's been great coming off the bench and came off the bench again today and you know gave him a little bit of something but he was he's got to be better than endo at this point no i just thought that lineup was uh, for a home match against manchester united based on some of the liverpool uh, he i guess i'll put it this way up against arsenal's 11 today it was it was clearly arsenal had the better squad so when we're talking about the 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 race for the title today i feel like one of my biggest takeaways and i hate to say this saying uh stepping in for for danny brackets is that arsenal is is the much better squad than liverpool uh, suited for the long run definitely would would agree with you on that him and i've talked about that at one point he said they were a top 3 team in the in the world um we can we can debate that another time uh, of course you had uh, greg evans on your show just uh you know of course on a shout out your show you and danny brams doing everything over there on the charlotte soccer show so folks if you're not following or listening to those guys please go check them out you can also interact with them on x at for the crown baby they do fantastic job covering mls as well as charlotte fc primarily um we'll have some more stuff with you with those guys later but uh you know you mentioned uh, on your interview with greg evans you know kind of his opportunity and time he was covering this liverpool game i'd be curious you know afterwards what he thought of it if you get a chance to, to talk with him again but also uh, a a beat that he covers very closely is Aston Villa. John, of course, they played today against Brentford. They continue to win. Um, I think this is the surprising story of the Premier League this this year for, for a lot of folks. Uh, shout out to Daniel, who did have Villa in his top four in his preseason prediction. Um, but, you know, Brentford is a strong top half of the table team, and, and Unai Emery's men continue to get it done. Uh, ben me. The red card in the 71st minute, that, that's, Game changer. What, that's what changed this match. And Villa counters with, with two goals while they're a man up. And all of a sudden, this this dream of being top of the table, which they still can be by Christmas if they get one result to go their way. Ultimately, if that red card doesn't happen, are we talking about a Villa win today? It's It's tough because... Um, that's, that's, that's how thin the margins are. Right. But, but, but Villa gets the job done. Right. And, and, and a team that, um, has not, does not lose at home continues to put their, their best foot forward. Oh, the one person I wanted to call out in this match for sure is Ollie Watkins, right? He, he scores the, 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 the game winning goal in the second half, but not just for like call him out for the, for the win today, but call him out for the, just overall state of play this season in the Prem. Aston Villa goes as far as Ollie Watkins will take him in that striker position. He's been fantastic. And of course, you know, one of those guys that we've talked about as well, just his rise to to stardom in the Premier League and what he's doing is fantastic. Of course, some ugly scenes at the end of this one with some chaos and some red cards being handed out, a little bit of kind of um, antics from from some folks. Surprisingly, Emil, uh, Emilio Martinez was involved in that. So, uh, you know, things started to get a little crazy at the end of that one. But, of, of course, a big, big win for Aston Villa, who now, like you said, have a chance, if things go well, could be atop the table by Christmas. Um, John, a team that everyone expected to be at the top of the table at some point, 
They were atop the table for a while, but they've had a, a little bit of dip in form is Manchester City who lose points again for the fourth or drop points for the fourth game in a row against Crystal Palace. Pep Guardiola was absolutely furious about this one after the match, saying the team did not deserve to win this match. Um, when you're up 2-0 and you kind of choke it away at the end there, I would have to agree with him. Uh, any thoughts or any, you know, what, what is your take on City at this point? Of course, I think that's everyone's big, big storyline or, or concern. What What is happening at City this season? For me, it seems like the, the squad has gotten just a tad weaker. When you when you look top to bottom, and the fact that Kevin De Bruyne isn't playing right now for this squad, I think Holland, Erling Holland, has been dealing with some injury as well. So it's for the first time in a while, right? Things aren't going uh, Manchester City's way because typically they seem to get all the breaks and their run and their fantastic run over the last few three four years has been. Uh, perfect and it hasn't dealt with these moments right because when you look at the table now right how far are they off of the pace they're they're five points adrift 17 matches in right not, not that that's insurmountable but things like that when they happen there's only one win you got one win in the last five it's crazy for us for a team like manchester city uh, i'm not saying that it's like crisis mode there but it, you would if you if you looked back at City's record over the last two years, I'm not sure you would find a five game stretch with only one win. It's pretty it's pretty impressive what they've done, and and that's the standard that they're keeping themselves up to, right? But and I think people need to understand that as well to some degree. They are only five points back. You mentioned you know the the again what they've done has just been tremendous, and and every year you expect them to be there of course winning the treble last year and um, it's kind of one of those things for me it's it's a motivational thing right how how does pep get these guys to play their best i think you're seeing defenders not you know not taking assignments great or not playing up to up to what they should be a team like arsenal where they were passing the ball around this morning was was what you would expect from city or what city has done in the past and i think there is still that team there of course the talent is there i think just you know how do they get that joy back or how do they get that drive to really say hey guys it's time to turn it on and um, will they have that it's hard to know because after so much success do you know does that does that light fade a little bit so uh, you wonder if some of those new guys who haven't had that success like a doku can can drive this team going forward of course it's concerning but it's still the you know december um let's see what you know what end of january february looks like when we know that this team generally goes on a run and uh, you know i think they'll be okay john you mentioned a team or you mentioned you know city kind of having a, a bit of form and then losing it uh and now kind of in this little rut a team that was in a bit of a rut but has seemed to turn the corner um, is your Spurs team, John? They, you know, two wins on the trot, big, big performances for for Spurs, especially that win yesterday or Friday, excuse me, for against Forest. Um, what are you seeing? We haven't had a chance to talk about this with you yet, so I want to get your thoughts on Spurs this season. I know you're very high on Ange Postacago and what he's been doing over in North London. It's been a run of of games that has been one word enjoyable, and it's been a while. For for Tottenham to be playing that kind of style, right? As a supporter, things got very pragmatic with Antonio Conte, with with Jose Mourinho as well. Both both managers really wanted to control the pace of the game, uh, play play a nice low block, and then bounce off the counter. 
uh, to to Harry Kane, who I'm sure we'll talk we'll talk about in a little bit. That was their their philosophy, and now you take Kane out of the mix, you take those two managers out of the mix, and it's brand new, fresh football. And when you when you look at a match uh, like Forest, and I think this is uh, for Spurs specifically, this is now many games in a row they've scored a goal, and that that run goes back. I want to say almost 20 games, right? So I think we're 17 games into this season. Um, so coming off the end of last year into this season, Tottenham scores, which wasn't always the case against, uh, excuse me, with 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 Conte. So, for, so Tottenham, for me, sitting there in that number five spot, without the injuries, without the silly red cards, I asked myself, could they be where Villa is right now? I think I think Tottenham and, and Villa are two squads that probably will be uh, – fighting for that fourth Champions League spot. It, it does feel that way. And of course, it's got to be, you know, refreshing, like you mentioned, just the the pragmatism that has been previous managers and, and just the way you guys are playing this year. It's it's enjoyable even as a Chelsea fan to watch and, uh, you know, just the way that you guys are going forward and, and attacking. And um, we're seeing that style of play really resonate across and uh, not just Premier League, but you're seeing it in, in Italian leagues as well and other, other leagues adopting that more aggressive forward thinking football and it's great to watch and of course you know you guys have the talent there so it'll be interesting to see kind of how how things go you, you mentioned you know battling for fourth place with Villa of course there's there's Newcastle right there with you guys uh, that group right there and they get a big big win against Fulham who who had been scoring goals for fun and uh, they dried up this game unfortunately red card here didn't really help as well but that battle is going to be interesting for me uh, between you Newcastle Spurt you, Villa, Newcastle for that fourth spot. You know who's going to be the healthiest. How is how is Villa going to handle that pressure, uh, being you know up in that position? So um, a, an area that we'll keep an eye out for. Any any thought? Do you guys jump into that fourth spot, or do you guys think you're one cycle away? Well, I, when I think about Newcastle, I, what you're seeing is the impacts of European football. I think you're you're seeing that with with Villa as well. One thing Spurs have in their favor is the fact that they aren't playing in Europe right now and they're knocked out of the EFL Cup as well. So there's no fixture congestion, even though the squad is thin. Right now, everyone seems to be heading into the match fully fit and and ready to go. And that that's just going to continue in, unless there's an, an FA Cup run. And well, Newcastle, though, at this point, they've been knocked out of Europe, right? Um, fully finished fourth in the group. so they're So they're knocked out. So they might be able to get a bit of a reprieve, uh, but I think they might be. They're playing Chelsea in 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 the cup here soon, aren't they? Yeah, on Tuesday it'll be Chelsea versus Newcastle. So looking forward to that one. And uh, you mentioned, you know, they're out of Europe as well. A couple other teams. We we try and focus a little bit on the bottom as well, John. I know, um, especially in the Premier League, it's a big talked about. You know relegation battle year and you're you're in you're out uh you know that promotion down and we know that some championship squads that are near and dear to your heart that we we may be able to get into at the end but uh you know at the bottom of course you had a really scary scene um in Bournemouth first Luton of course you know, Jake Lockyer is, is actually stable now which is great to hear and um it seems to be alert after collapsing on the field with cardiac arrest and and uh you know big shout out and and thank you to the support staff um of course we're not there but you never want to see something like that happen and they responded uh, admirably and, and honestly probably saved the man's life again so um you know big big props to them and again he's he's okay as far as we know uh, everton get a big result against burnley john i'm not sure what, if you've been following the everton you know kind of debacle year what they've been doing but since the deduction in points that was five games ago all they've done is 
is win four and lose one against Manchester United right out of it. They would be in the top half. They would almost be fighting with you guys in that spot for for fourth place. Um, or would you not feel worried about an Everton based off what you're seeing, or, uh, or are they just kind of a nice little story right now? Well, here's the good news: is that the next match, Sean Sean Dyke and Everton play Tottenham. Um, that's that's the next game on on the fixture list. So, um, Dyke was uh, honestly he was at Spurs Forest on. Friday before his match on Saturday, already getting a a, a look ahead uh, at at Tottenham and what they that what they were doing in in that match. So it's a huge huge match for sure. That that game coming up, and I I've got respect for Everton because I know they've they've won four. Um, well, I, here's a good question for you. I don't know if you can answer this, but it's either is it is it four on the spin or four on the bounce? Which one is it? Is it four on the it's spin? It's four on the spin. Uh, they lost the first one, and then they've won the last four. So yeah, four on the four on the spin. And uh, you mentioned, you know, him in the stands on on a Saturday or a Friday. No video gate here. Uh, he was just a fan. He was just observing, uh, not taking any notes. Although you never know. Uh, but uh, it'll be an interesting game, like you said, a big one for you guys uh, versus Everton, who who are making a move, and and you know who knows if that point deduction will will come off, uh, at least maybe cut in half. Who knows? We'll hear and we'll see. But uh, the last team in the bottom, of course, is Sheffield, who played my Chelsea, John. Um, hmm. This felt like a relegation game, to be honest, between both teams. That's how bad Chelsea were. They they somehow get the win. Uh, a win's a win. Uh, we'll take three points, but. Uh, a lot of work for for Mauricio Pochettino. Of course, you're very familiar with him and what he did uh, at Spurs. Hopefully, he can do something similar for us over at Chelsea. But he's got a lot of work to get done at some point in time. But Chelsea at least wins this game, right? Thankfully, whether you know whether they're in a relegation battle or not, obviously they're not. But I think what's nice is for a Chelsea squad that has been kind of middle of the table for, for a little while now. These are the games that you're supposed to to win, even if you kind of look like uh, shit doing it. And, and shit is probably not the right word. I think it's just boring and it's workmanlike. And I think it's a, it's a pot. It's a win that Pochettino will hang his hat on because um, he wants three points anyway. He's anyway, he can get, get it at this point. So for him, I think w w when Pochettino starts g getting wins, that's the thing that you that you need. Even a couple draws here for Chelsea, just try to get get on a roll, right? That kind of win helps you get on a roll, and I think that's the thing that Chelsea's been lacking. They haven't been able to play well over a four or five game stretch. Totally agree with you. It's it's building blocks too, especially with the young squad, um, right? And kind of getting those fundamentals and those mile markers hit within each squad. And uh, you know, a team that's done that, John, um, and is currently atop the table in the Bundesliga is Bayer Leverkusen. The job that Xabi Alonso has done, you know, again, you mentioned taking time, kind of winning games to kind of get those incremental steps. That's what uh, you know Bayer Leverkusen did at the end of last year when they brought him on. They were you know, near the bottom or in dire straits um, about potentially being relegated. And all he's done since then is turn this this team completely around. They have not lost a game in the calendar season or in the uh, campaign season, excuse me, 20 in all competitions. So 25 games, un, no losses in 25, which is remarkable. Uh, they take things to Eintracht Frankfurt today and they get a big three points winning 3-0 Victor Boniface, I'm not sure, John, if you've been following the Bundesliga that closely, but Victor Boniface is a name that a lot of teams will be coming for uh, in, in the Premier League and, and throwing big, big money at him, a, a center forward that you really are just 
salivating over a lot of teams at this point. He's he's fantastic if you haven't seen him. No, yeah, I'm looking looking at his uh, match history here, and you can tell he's he's scoring goals and he's making assists as well. And I think when you're doing that for for a side that's that's top of the league, when most people would assume right now, including myself, and and this, this is when I do my Bundesliga check in or my La Liga check in, I'm 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 typically table watching, right? That's that's what I do for those leagues. There's only only so many hours in the day, right? So, exactly. So, exactly. So I'm you know so I'm table watching kind of see what storylines are developing and and to kind of hear that okay uh Leverkusen has this striker who is who's doing it all for them at the moment makes a ton of sense yeah and another team that was a storyline as you looked at the table is Stuttgart who of course played Bayern Bayern Munich today John and and um you know coming into it if you if again if you're just looking at that storyline at the you know Stuttgart who were Honestly, in the in the in the actual playoff last year for relegation, and, and of course um, now they're in third place in the league and fourth place after today, dropping down. But uh, they also have a striker that's going to go and get big money, Garassi, who's who's second in the Bundesliga, only to behind your man Harry Kane, John, who who made the move. I mentioned Victor Boniface going from Bundesliga to Premier League or other leagues, and Harry made the move coming to the Bundesliga and. He has just hit the ground running. This is what Harry Kane does, and you are the first person that I would think of because you've seen it for so many years at Spurs. No doubt, and he is just your classic put him at your striker position and he will score goals, and he does that for his team at this stage in his career, and he's he's very good at actually doing the business, right? It, it, when you play striker, it really typically, especially professionally, when you get up near the age of 30 in in – a league like the Premier League, and then obviously for the English national team uh, as the captain, and then you know here now at Bayern trying to to go for Champions League glory as just a as a someone who has followed Kane's career very closely. What I'll say is, I can tell right now that the focus is certainly on Champions League, and I think getting back to that Champions League final and uh, achieving uh, that that trophy is more important than the Bundesliga. Good thing is they have a realistic shot at both, uh, which is something he probably would not have been able to say for very often at Spurs. Um, very happy for the man, like you said. Uh, he, all he's done is gone over there. There was, of course, discussion of um, is was he is he better than Lewandowski in his prime at Bayern Munich? Right? Well, he's better than Lewandowski right now. That's for sure. I have no doubt about that. I think there's a, everyone needs to question and slow down a little bit when we're comparing these two in their primes. They're totally different players, um, but still great strikers in their own right. And, uh, you know, one of the things you don't want to do, John, is play Bayern Munich after a, a loss. They lost 5-1 to Eintracht Frankfurt in the league before midweek against Manchester United. And um, last time that Bayern lost this season, they, they then played Borussia Dortmund and they beat them 4-1. So um, they take care of business against Stuttgart, who again was in third place at the time. And, and they kind of made them look very simple uh, as Byron usually does. Uh, but a team, John, that I had uh, just to give myself a little bit of credit because they were dropping the table for a while and they've turned things around. I had RB Leipzig winning the Bundesliga this year. Uh, it just seemed like math couldn't add up that Bayern Munich could win it for the 12th time in a row. Who knows? I might be, I probably am wrong. But Leipzig is is kind of lurking. They're sitting there in third place right now, only three points behind Bayern. Um, you know, interesting to see what will come of this. Of course, we all joke about the Bundesliga being a little bit of a farmer's league, but we want to see a title race in this in this Bundesliga. I think Dortmund are out. They they drop points again today. 
But do do we potentially have a title race from what you're looking at, or do you think Byron again continues to run away with it? I think with Leipzig, like they can potentially get a result still that we're recording this on the 17th. It looks like they play in a couple days. Um, yeah, midweek midweeks fixtures this week for the uh, for the Bundesliga. Gotcha. And so they have a looks like they have a game or Bayern has a game in hand on them too. Um, Bayern also has a game in, game in hand on Leverkusen at this at this point. Either way, I think it was because of that crazy sto- snowstorm, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, they had to they had to postpone for snow, which was pretty remarkable. Anyway, so so Bayern has has played one less game than most of the league, except for Union Berlin. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't think about good. You know, I hope maybe your long shot stays in the race, but I'd call him a clear third at this point. Uh, but it could be a race between Leverkusen and Bayern. Why not? Clearly a long shot, I know, as usually my picks are. So uh, not surprising there, but it will be interesting to see. We'll continue following that race. It's a race that, um, you know, it, it has been kind of one-sided, but hopefully we get we get one this year. Uh, John, a race, though, that is never one-sided, it feels like, or at least two-sided. Um, and this year we have a nice surprise third team is, is in La Liga. Uh, Real Madrid go and get take care of business today at home against Villarreal. They jump Girona. Yes, um, I did say Girona. Uh, and they jump into first place and, and have, you know, kind of put the pressure on Girona, who play on Monday, while Barcelona and, and Atleti kind of, you know, the perennial top four kind of slip a little bit here. Is this, again, you know, knowing how, you know, Leicester like Girona is, is this something that can continue? Or do you think, you know, just looking at it on paper, that Real Madrid, are, are way too far beyond here. You know, one thing for me is is that uh, a club like Girona, I, I have no clue about a club like Girona. No right? one does. That's the beautiful and, thing. And I, for me, I've never had a La Liga squad. I've, I don't support a team in La Liga. And I, I think I am officially a Girona supporter. Like, this is going to make me decide to support them. Like, who is this squad? Why are they... You know, all of a sudden, and they're close to you know Girona not being far from Barcelona. Um, uh, talk about a an underdog story. I'm in. I'm in for Girona. I think that to me is one of the best stories in world football right now. When you think about um, could, could this happen? Um, I, I think Madrid is my my pick ultimately, but it's a great story. It is a great story. You mentioned not far from Barcelona. I think we mentioned it on the on the pod last time, if not a couple episodes ago. The entire town of Girona, John, would fit in the Camp Nou when it's completed its renovation. <laughs> so 98,000 people are the entire size of the town of Girona. So when you say a, an underdog story, it's a great story. Um, I'm with you, though. Um, I said this the other day. I think, I think it's a great story for a little bit longer, but I think Madrid ultimately... Uh, you know, will we'll rise to the top as they are right now. Barcelona continue to drop points here, John. This is a surprise. They've got the talented, you know, roster that they do and, um, you know, injuries and, and Javier Hernandez coming back to the club and, and winning La Liga last year. But this squad just does not look the same. I don't know if it's if it's the injuries or, or what it is, but um, this has been a shocker to me. And um, we'll see what happens and, and whether he keeps his job as a big big debate right now in Spain, which is surprising, especially after you advance out of the group stage of, you know, Champions League. I, I'd expect Barcelona to advance out of the Champions League group stage. I would just because, you know, for me, I, that's a competition that that suits them. 
But for La Liga, this is what Barcelona has been ever since the financial issues. And that, that to me is, I think, a huge part of this. Ever, ever since Barca started to have financial is, issues, they just never have been the same on the pitch. Their, their transfer business has been probably subpar. And what what ends up happening is is that you draw against Valencia and you you fall off the the pace and all of a sudden you're seven points back of Madrid and and you're six points back of Girona who still has a, a game in hand right now so I think that's more like the realistic modern Barcelona knowing that they're going through these financial issues which by the way I don't know when the end in sight is for those financial issues. All the levers. Who knows with all the levers? There's so many levers. They're they they keep pulling levers each day back there. And um, yeah, it, it will be interesting to see. Apparently, they've gotten things a little bit under control. To your point, though, and, and that's kind of why I didn't think that they were going to get um, repeat title winners this year. Is it's just the they have to pick one one area to focus on. They have to focus on Champions League, or they have to focus on La Liga. They don't have the strength of roster just due to the finances and things you mentioned um, to, to uh, you know, play on, on multiple fronts. Uh, of course, John, you mentioned already the midweek fixtures for, for the Bundesliga. La Liga will have those as well. Um, Daniel and I are, are both off on Thursday, but we will have a, a fun special episode for you guys um, with John as well. So check that out as uh, on Thursday, we'll, we'll we release that. And then of course we'll cover all the midweek fixtures on the Sunday recap next week when Daniel's back and um, we can get things covered there for you. But uh, John, of course, as we do here, we have two more leagues to get through real quick. And, and thank you again for, for jumping in and joining the show. We've I've really enjoyed chatting with you. And I know some of these leagues are a little bit out of your, your line of sight, but uh, it's just fun to talk football with you. And uh, you've always got insight into everything. So the last, you know, the big league I want to focus on um, is Syria. Uh, we have a, a pretty favorable lead right now for Inter, who who continue to stretch things against Juventus. Um, they get they pick up three points against uh, Lazio today, and, and Juventus drop against Genoa on Friday, which was a big surprise. Lorturo Martinez continues to score goals. John, all he does is he's got 14 on the year. Um, he, you know he's he's playing well for Argentina as well. This guy just never really made it in the Premier League and then went to Serie A and has absolutely dominated. Any thoughts on why one doesn't you know, relate to the other? And I know we've seen this before in other players as well. I think he's motivated this year specifically, and here's my theory as to why. And why the, uh, my genesis of this is the World Cup, right? Because with Argentina at the World Cup, he was uh, underperforming. He didn't play as much as, as he had would have hoped for, I think. And throughout the tournament, I think he missed a PK at some point. And he went into the Serie A season with, I think, a chip on his shoulder to be better. And and he's had that opportunity there. And it's cool to see. And by the way, I know this specifically because in Danny Brams's uh, World Cup pool the and, and the, the, the shows over the summer, I should not say over the summer, almost uh, yeah, a year time. now. A year now. A winter yeah, time. Crazy yeah, to think. Yeah. The World Cup banter shows. Um, Great time. Missed Martinez those. was on my squad. I, I, dra I, I drafted Lautaro Martinez, Martinez in the World Cup um, because I thought he was going to perform like this for Argentina, but he didn't. And now he's doing that for Syria. Yeah, and, he had a little um, bit of a dry squad. spell even then, too, which was crazy to think, too. He, he went a couple of games where he had chance after chance in Syria and couldn't do it. But, uh, yeah, I'm with, I'm with you. I thought he was going to have a big uh, – I picked him as the goal scorer of the year for La Liga uh, – or Syria, excuse me, just coming after the World Cup, the way he went into it and kind of had a, 
a, a bad performance there. I thought there was going to be some some bounce back, and there was, and good to see. Of course, uh, you know, can't get can't get you out of here without talking about Christian Pulisic and AC Milan um, and nice. just what they've been doing. Uh, they get a big result today. You know, what are your thoughts on on? Of course, he's been you know highlighted. He had a goal midweek against. Um, in uh, in Champions League against Newcastle, it, what are your thoughts on? Was this a good move for for Christian to go to AC Milan and and kind of restart his career? Well, selfishly, I thought it was a uh, bad move because, like we had talked about, there's only so many hours in the day, right? And when when Pulisic moves uh, to Serie A, I, I know that I'm just not going to watch him play that much. Uh, but I'm going to read about him. I'm going to, I'm going to talk about him because uh, and and watch him play with the United States men's national team. Uh, but I think it's a good challenge for him. I, I think the fact that he's getting minutes is the most important thing for Pulisic there. If he wasn't playing, it would be a massive, massive problem. Just But just to see him play and see him contribute, I think that every time he comes back into the U.S. camp, he comes back fit. He's being treated well by, by one of the best um, clubs in the world, right? And I think that's the, the cool part about European soccer is, is that you can at, at a place like AC Milan, it is one of the best clubs in the world. And, and that is, and that kind of soccer is being played in Italy and, and across that entire continent. And if you're in with one of those good clubs, it typically helps you. I think Pulisic for me is, I mean, when I'm looking forward to um, the Copa America tournament this summer, I think he's going to be on full display. Thanks to this experience. You mentioned him there. Uh, of course, Eunice Musa is with him as well. So another great opportunity for a youngster to get, uh, you know, big minutes moving over from Valencia. Which, I think which player? Which together. player do you think? Um, let's let's assume that both players here don't uh, stay there for their careers. Which player gets gets shipped out first, and for what kind of price tag? Oh boy, that's a great question. I think I think Eunice goes first because he would have a fresh lens from from some of those squads. I think Christian will have mm -hmm. a little bit of baggage just coming from Chelsea the way he did and how that transpired. I don't think that that's that does him any justice, but I think that's just the way that managers and, and clubs will look at it. Again, this this Eunice Musa has only continued to go up, whereas Christian had a chance. Um, and, and I still think they both end up back in a in a big big league. Um, not that Syria isn't, but I think they can go to you know, league uh, top top team in La Liga or, or Bundesliga. Um, Musa probably for like sixty million, maybe seventy million somewhere. Um, it would be my range for him. Uh, I don't think he's going to develop into this one hundred and five million Declan Rice type player, but I could be proven wrong. And I love, I'd of course love to be proven wrong. I think he's a tremendous talent. I think he's his ceiling is very very high. But um, will he be one of the best center mids in the world? We'll see. Yeah, I think that's a you're spot on. I think that that valuation is right. I think Pulisic again, if he if he stars this summer in that tournament, um, his value is going to skyrocket. So uh, they're both going to be in the eleven, likely, right? Absolutely, so, absolutely. Yeah, you know, typically you don't come. I, I think with this new tournament this season uh, and the United States and Concacaf being included in this Gold Cup, if if the United States does get to a semifinal or the final. Um, you're looking at a summer window right afterwards that, you know, cause, uh, the Euros being played, to, played this summer as well. Correct. So you're going to see a lot of international, uh, play, which tends to lead to, you know, some, some August time transfer business. 
Yes, just like Chelsea paid that big price tag for Enzo Fernandez after the World Cup. There's always one team that does it, right? <laughs> yep, There's always yep. one team that does it. But uh, yeah, just to, to quickly round out the situation in, in Syria as well. Um, of course, uh, Bologna uh, get a big surprising result today against Roma and jump up into fourth place now. Uh, this battle for fourth, John, is something that Daniel and I have been keeping an eye out for, and it's just getting more intense and, and heated. It's awesome. We'll keep an eye out you know, further. Uh, four teams at the moment, potentially five with Atamanta, who play tomorrow, are all within three points of each other for that fourth place, which will be Champions League in Italy. So um, a battle that's worth watching there. Uh, wrapping things up, John, um, you know, the only other big game I wanted to get your thoughts on uh, is kind of, and this is definitely in the weeds, so just keep bear in mind, uh, PSV um, has won every single game in the era to visit this season. They haven't not only lost or lost, dropped points, they've won every game, 16-0. and 0. They beat arguably their nearest opponent, AZ Akmar, 4-0 today. Is this good for a league when there's a team that's just this dominant, um, regardless of what league it is? For me, it's case by case, right? I think it's it's not good for the league because it feels like the title race is is wrapped up and you're playing for second. But that but that's why those qualification spots come into play on the table, and that's why I enjoy talking about the game and and the way that the game works is these these qualification spots that that enter you into different tournaments and how you're playing for more than just the trophy. Uh, you're playing for the financial success of the future of your club in a lot of these situations. Um, so for PSV, I'm not I'm not surprised to see any of that. What I am surprised to see is a goal di- differential of 50, uh, 16 games in. That's um, pretty remarkable. That's, that's pretty a, remarkable. That's absurd. Yes, that's that's yeah. absurd. Well, you mentioned all the different tournaments, um, all the different things that happen in a league and in a season. Of course, um, we had a special episode, like I mentioned earlier, that will be airing on Thursday. We round up uh, the entire MLS season for you with John and Daniel from the Charlotte Soccer Show. Uh, John, a huge thank you for for joining tonight. Really appreciate it. Love chatting with you as always about the game and just kind of catching up. And again, um, we'll have a, a special episode with these guys on Thursday. If you don't follow them or don't listen to their show, please go and check them out. Sar- Charlotte Soccer Show, wherever you get your podcasts, you can interact with them on X at full time, or excuse me, for the crown baby. Um, you can interact with us at full time roundup on X. Um, please download, like, subscribe wherever you get the show. Like I mentioned, Daniel and I are gone till next Sunday. Day, um, but we will have a special recap episode for you then as there'll be a lot to cover so again john um really really appreciate having you tonight it's, it's been great being on the show and talk about this european football because my my favorite thing is is covering charlotte fc right and and seeing how they are progressing as a new mls franchise here and how whether american um, soccer is is really growing and, and kind of what the future of that that league looks like and you know the other thing that that i really just pay attention to is to, is to european soccer right and, and for me that's a, a love and the game is so good and it gives me perspective um, I, you have to watch if you if i think personally if, you, if you're going to cover mls if you're going to cover uh charlotte fc you have to watch European football. You have to set it to a standard and understand kind of where it fits in to the global structure of the game. And it allows you to properly evaluate kind of what you're seeing in front of you on the pitch week to week. Well, we love having you. You're always welcome to join Cheers. us. Um, you know, we'll maybe get to Norwich next time, one of your your loves in the championship. But uh, again, appreciate it as always. And, and Norwich, I'll tell you what, Norwich is not far off. Um, They're not. Of the they playoffs at this up. point. 
it could come back up keep an eye there's this it's a classic seesaw team and it was a horrible horrible start to the year and they kept david wagner around they 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 um put their their best foot forward and said let's try to go for these playoffs and and they found themselves back in and i couldn't believe this by the way and i'll I'll leave it with this this is how far we are into the season now i think that i saw that we've already played 22 matches in the championship and i went whoa we're cooking here the season cooking is now. really humming cooking now. thanks we'll so much for having for me the, uh, we'll have to back you have you back for the recap of where they ended up but uh, of course anytime cheers <laughs>